Well, good morning to everyone. Lovely to be uh, reading again. But today, um, the reading is Exodus chapter 20 and can be found on page 77 in the Church Bibles. The Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where, Lord, where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken in, to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honoured, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, 
or your private parts will be exposed. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come amongst us now. Fill us afresh with your word as we uh, look at these words and hear your words. And may that be a life-changing experience. Amen. (coughs) Well, I mean, we've just heard probably the most sublime, famous, world-changing words ever spoken. And yet that chapter ends with the rather bizarre instruction, uh, literally, gents, keep your tackle in. Which is a pretty strange way to end that passage, isn't it? Well, we will come back to that because it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? But for the moment, let's just concentrate on the main theme of this chapter, the Ten Commandments. And I guess as soon as you use that phrase, Ten Commandments, an image like this comes to mind, doesn't it? It's, it's what we think of, a sort of a hairy old man shouting instructions at us, and your heart probably sinks a bit. Well, if that's how you see it, then I want this morning to perhaps look at these words in a different way and perhaps see them more as as a love letter from God to us where he speaks to us and he wishes us well. By the way, I know sometimes people say they can't see these pictures at the back, so um, do feel free to move to the front if that would help you. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 1. God spoke all these commandments. It doesn't say that, does it? God spoke all these words. What we have here is God revealing himself to us. The Bible is a progressive revelation of God and his nature. From that moment when he he walks in the garden through all these wonderful stories of the Old Testament through to that fullest revelation of his nature in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is happening here is we are being shown and introduced to a God who rescues us. And this is also a moment, perhaps, when we might understand why we feel sometimes about things as we do. Romans 1 and 2, we heard a bit of Romans 1 earlier, tell us that we all have some awareness of God. We all have some awareness of how he would like us to live. And so what is happening here is God is not suddenly setting out a whole set of new rules for society. The people don't respond to this by saying, well, there's a surprise, never thought of that. You think back, that's reflected in the Bible stories, isn't it? Genesis 2, Cain kills Abel. 
It's murder. And he's cursed by God. Genesis 9. Noah's children do not honor him. They're condemned by God. Genesis 39. Joseph knows that adultery would be wrong with Potiphar's wife. He calls it a sin against God, and so on. John Piper, commenting on this, says, every human being in the world, every child in your family, every person that you work with, everybody in your neighborhood has an inborn knowledge of God and an inborn knowledge of the moral law of God. So what's going on in this love letter is God making plain who he is and what he's like. What we only sense here is made explicit. Here in the desert of Sinai, in a sort of mobile-free, mobile phone-free zone, with no other distractions, we're encountering the living Lord who speaks. And he speaks so that we can know him better and that we can respond to his love in faith. So verse 2, look how God introduces himself. This is, if you like, God's sort of LinkedIn page, his bio, his Facebook page or whatever. He says, I am the Lord your God. In fact, I am the I am, he says, who brought you out of the land of slavery. So if God had a Facebook page or LinkedIn account, I've got three LinkedIn accounts. Uh, They're all wrong and I don't know how to change any of them. But never mind. I am who I am, and I am a rescuer from slavery. God could have said, well, look, I I am the great judge, and that's what I'm coming to do. He could have said, I'm the great creator God. I've created this mountain and all this thunder. But how does he want to be known? He wants to be known as the rescuer God, the one who saves, the one who wants a relationship with us, the ones who wants to adopt us into his family. Well, we have people coming to stay with us. Well, they're not staying with us particularly, staying in the house while we're away. Um, And like any families, there have to be some house rules. There has to be ways of living together, don't we, so that we get on. Um, Mostly they seem to revolve around toilet seats and bedtimes, Um, but they're there to help us live in relationship. And house rules usually are pretty short. And these rules are short. What God is giving us here is very compressed, very memorable. We were at Hillary's Thanksgiving service and we heard from Psalm 139. It was a a wonderful service. Um, But in Psalm 139, we were reminded that this rescuing God knows us so well that he perceives our thoughts from afar. And I think that is why, because God does knows us so well, he knows how feeble we are, he's given us these commands in a very short and simple and memorable way. In fact, in, in, in the Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew, but from what I can work out, um, they're even shorter than they are set out for us in English. They're a sort of dummy's guide uh, to God, if you like. Um, And of course, they're boiled down by Jesus into the two great commands that we heard earlier. Love God and love other people. 
and, and that's the split, isn't it? Verses uh, 3 to 8 are about loving God, and then um, 12 to 7, loving other people. So they're very short, they're very simple, they are there to show us about God's character, they are there so that we can remember them. But here's the thing that puzzled me. Um, Psalm 1, verse 2, it's one of many verses that says we are blessed when we meditate on God's law day and night. And I've often wondered, well, what is there to meditate about all day and all night? I mean, they seem pretty straightforward, aren't they? I guess many of us over the years have found ourselves meditating more on how I can get round them rather than how I should apply them. I think probably in my day, teenagers spent a long time working out whether fornication was really forbidden or was it adultery something different. Maybe we think now, well, is it all right not to have a Sabbath day as long as I catch up with the service online, on the bus or something like that? Well, I don't think that's what the psalmist had in mind when we're encouraged to meditate on these commandments. Here, I think, is a better uh, illustration that helped me, certainly. Um, if you go to the King Alfred, assuming it's still open, uh, and maybe you're going with children, or you went there as a child, or you are still a child, or whatever, um, you are bound to see a sign like this, aren't you? No running. Now, what do you do about that? It's very simple. Come on, no running. Well, probably, if you're of a certain age, you run. And you ignore it, because it's fun. And a lifeguard will blow his whistle, and then you'll probably be thrown out. So a better plan, and probably one most of us have done, is to see, well, how quickly can I go? Can I, can I skip? That's not running. Or can I walk really fast, a sort of speed walk round the pool? And anyway, what are the limits to this? Can I run in the changing rooms? Can I ever run again? Now, of course, those are all pretty stupid questions, really, aren't they? Because we know that that sign is a kind of shorthand way of telling us how to look after ourselves. It says we're to go carefully. We're to make sure that we look after ourselves, we don't slip over and hurt ourselves. And at the same time, we don't cannon into other people and hurt them and send them flying. This sign is not about me not enjoying life. It's about enjoying the environment I've been put in and allowing everybody else to enjoy it too. And that is exactly the way the commandments work. Um, if Nick was here, he'd be telling you they were paradigmatic. But I don't understand what that means. But effectively, we have a simple little hook that we can work out from and say, what is God's will in all this? It illustrates a wider point that shows us what God is like and how our life should be. Actually, that's a principle that applies right through the Bible. You will see that sort of thing, especially in Paul's letters, those simple examples 
which are to be read like that. Which means that we read into them much more than just the simple statement we've got here. Um, Calvin, I, I'm sure he's not the only person, but Calvin says, look, there are two ways you can do this that are helpful when we meditate on God's law. He says, first, think about what's the end purpose of the law. What's, what's the point of this command? And then, he says, you can look at a command and say, well, if something displeases God, then the opposite pleases and that's effectively what we did when we looked at the no running sign. What's the point of the law? And if something displeases, well, what pleases? And you can work through, and we can meditate on these commands and work through them. Let's, let's look at verse 14 for a minute, just see how that works. Very simple commands, isn't it? No adultery, says God. Pretty straightforward. But then think through, if adultery displeases God, well, that means the opposite pleases. So it tells me that God honours marriage between a man and a woman and sexual relations within marriage. And then as we meditate on that and we look through scriptures, well, we find the rest of scripture is consistent with that. So from the moment when Adam first sees Eve to very last book and almost the last chapter of Revelation 19 when we end with a heavenly wedding reception and we discover how marriage is used as a reflection of God's exclusive relationship with us. That is the end purpose of the command. So God's word expands and helps me understand that very simple little statement and of course if marriage pleases God then I'm going to want to encourage others in it and I've partly picked this example just because we've just come through pride and Brighton is a particularly difficult environment isn't it to be able to talk about things like this but actually this command means we stand up for marriage it means if we're gay, we accept a celibate lifestyle. If we're straight, it means we accept a chaste lifestyle. It means if we're having an affair, we're going to end it. In fact, even if we're thinking about having an affair, we're going to end it. Now, that way of thinking may begin to sound a bit familiar. And it should. Because doesn't that sound like what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount? He tells us, look, living God's way isn't a matter of just living out all these rules. It's living out God's life in our own lives. So Jesus says, look, God says, don't steal. Okay, if God says don't steal, we value the opposite. So we value giving and generosity, don't we? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 42, he says, give freely. You'll know the passages. 
God says here, don't covet. Don't use that word much. I see there's a shop down in, um, near Jewel Street called Covet. I wonder whether we should go in and tell them uh, what it means, but never mind. Um, don't covet stuff. Don't covet tangible stuff. Don't long for your neighbour's car or donkey or whatever he's got. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, do the opposite. Covet the intangible. Long for righteousness. Long to be right with God. So we kind of chew over these commands and we think them through, guided by the Holy Spirit and guided by his word. And that, I think, is why we have this rather bizarre no-bottoms verse, uh, verse 26. Because I just do wonder. There's been a lot of drama up to now, hasn't there? There's been thunder and lightning and crashing and all trumpets going on. I just wonder whether God winked when it came to this little command. Because it's very memorable, isn't it? We're not going to forget it. What on earth has it got to do with living God's way? Look at verse 3 and 4. You shall have no other God than me, says God. And I think that's what we're going back to. He says in verse 24 to wherever I cause my name to be honoured, I will come to you and bless you. That's a great promise in its own, isn't it? But there is no other God. God will be with us wherever we are. So... What does that mean? Well, it means, in this passage, he says, you don't need fancy stone altars to find me. I'm with you anyway. And you don't need to put steps on. We'll have to get rid of these. You don't need to have steps. You don't have to have this idea of ascending a mountain, it's a picture of, to find me. Because I'm there. And you don't need to do weird stuff like other religions do, like ritual nakedness and stuff like that. You don't need to do anything special to find me. I'm there. All I want is you. He says, keep it that way. But isn't it a memorable little example that just reminds us of that great truth and helps us to remember there is only one God and no one should go before him. But, of course, the huge trap, and we will all fall into it, we'll all fall into it before the day is out. The huge trap the devil wants us to fall into, whether we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus or not, is to see these commandments just as a list of stuff we have to do to keep God happy. And that keeps coming back to us, doesn't it? Condemnation pressing in is the way the uh, the hymn just mentioned it. And of course, at that level, once we begin to think, I've got to keep all these laws, or if you're not a Christian and you think this is what Christianity is all about, keeping all these laws, well, of course, that means you are doomed. As Fraser would put it in Dad's Army, you're stuffed. And I think, I think that's why the Israelites are trembling with fear in verse 18. They were absolutely right when they said, don't let God speak to us or we will die. It's in verse 19, isn't it? They knew they couldn't do this. They knew they needed a mediator. They needed a go-between. 
Without that, they were facing God's punishment, the punishment that's set out throughout these commands, isn't it? There is a penalty for not living like this, and we need help. This is a really grainy picture, don't blame me. You see the story in the news this week of, uh, in Devon uh, of the, uh, the guy who saw a sheep stuck down on a rock and the tide was coming in uh, and he realised uh, he was the one who needed to go and rescue it. So he clambered down with the tide coming in and he managed to get the sheep over his shoulders uh, and then clamber back uh, up the rocks. It's a wonderful picture. Um, but God knows us so well. We saw earlier, God knows us so well. He sees us in the same predicament and knows we need help. He knows we can't live like this. So how does he help us? Well, we rely on the Lord and we rely on his Holy Spirit. This sheep only had one bloke to help him. We got, we got two. God's given us two help. And we rely on Jesus because it's Jesus who lived out a life in complete obedience, not just to those ten commands and ticking them off, but living through all the implications in his daily life. And yet, despite that, we know he bore the penalty for disobedience. And that means when we disobey, it doesn't end in death. Our trust in Jesus gives us life. Holy Spirit says in Hebrews 10 17, God won't remember our sins and lawless acts anymore. And we rely on the Holy Spirit because he helps and prompts us. Someone um, said the other day, well, you know, all Christians are full of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of true, it is true. But it's a bit like saying my car's full of petrol. Let's actually turn the engine on. It's actually not going to help me much. We need to allow the Spirit to minister to us, don't we? Hebrews 10, 15, the Spirit tells us that the Lord puts his law in our hearts and writes them on our minds. So the Spirit helps us to find God's way. But can I just say that if you're not, or we're not, disturbed by the Spirit, if we're not conscious at the end of today or the end of a day, didn't quite get that right. Oh, if only I could have done that. If we're not thinking like that, then maybe we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do his job of prompting us and helping us. So let's allow him to act so that we increasingly are transformed into the likeness of the God who loves us, loves us and the God who rescues us and wants us to bless us to a thousand generations, which is another way of saying he wants to bless us forever. Let me pray, and then Hazel's going to continue in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you speak and we can listen. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work within each one of us, prompting us and strengthening us to live more 
like you and for you every day. Amen. Amen.